This is Conquering Columbus. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is Mike here. Really excited to release this episode. It's going to be a great interview and I think you guys are all going to enjoy it. We talked to Ben and Greg from G2O. Some of the things that really, really stood out to me is being impactful, really. We're, you know, we talked about some of the differences between experience, data, and technology and how that creates what your customers see. The way I think about experience, data, and tech is experience really highlights what do we need to do to solve the problem and then tech and data build the workflow and instrument the workflow so you can actually change how people interact with the technology and ultimately change behavior. The importance of customer experience, especially in today's digital era. So if you think about a customer experience, that's really about the culmination of all the touch points that somebody has with the brand. They interact with products, they interact with services, they interact with instruction manuals, they interact with people on the phone. All of those touch points represent the totality of the experience. We talk a little bit about the rebranding of G2O and that process, what that looks like for them. People think of brand, they think of brand and colors and logo. And I think it's a lot deeper than that. It's been a way for us to redefine our relationship with a lot of customers, engage a lot deeper. It's gone really well. Throughout the entire conversation, you could really tell they had passion and enjoyed what they were doing. If I wake up and I'm going to work and I'm not loving what I do, I'm probably not doing the right thing. The only way you can do the best work is to love what you do every day. As always, I hope you enjoy the episode. Here is our conversation with Ben and Greg from G2O. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am your co-host, Mike. And it's just me and Tim today. Josh is off in Florida. And with some more bad news for you, me and Tim are going to be handing off the mic back and forth because Josh took his microphone with him. So, Tim, how you doing? <laughs> it's, I mean, hey, it's not that bad. I'm doing pretty well. Um, it didn't rain today. We have to talk about the weather, you know, being from Ohio. It uh, it did not rain today. So, by that metric, I'm doing great. Well, uh, hopefully our guests today are doing great as well. And uh, today on the show, we've got Ben Stormer and Greg Smith joining us. And Ben is the Senior VP of Technology and Greg is the Senior VP of Experience at G2O. G2O is the largest Ohio-owned digital experience and technology company, and we previously had CEO Kelly Gratz on the show to talk about their rebrand brand in 2020, and we're excited to talk with Greg and Ben about what's changed for G2O since we last spoke with Kelly, how the pandemic has changed the market in the banking and healthcare sectors, and making digital experience and relevancy even more important than ever. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, gentlemen. Thank you. Just, to, just so you guys know, you made the mic passing look very natural. Thank you. I appreciate that. Might be a new thing. So how's the day going? What's what's going on with you guys? I uh, got my first Pelotonia training ride in, in this morning. So shameless plug for Pelotonia, Greg Smith. If you're looking for someone to donate to, I'm, I'm out there. G2O's got a Peloton team, so we're excited about that. But I don't know, I'd say it's pretty reflective of a typical day-to-day, -day, you know, a nice mix of team updates and project updates and working on a couple proposals for some new customer experience research projects. So pretty good day. What about you, Ben? Uh, great day. Started out with a little fitness myself and, uh, you know, work's been great. We're, we're in this this kind of journey and we'll get into a little bit of the conversation here, but uh, every day is full of a lot of different adventures as we're trying to make it, we're on a, in a transition path as a company. So there's a wide range of things we have going on every day and uh, that makes it exciting. You never know what you're going to walk into. The Pelotonia ride, uh, that's that's going to be in person again this year, right? Like it's going to be a real yeah. ride, not virtual? Yep. It's exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting for, for the city. Yeah, so kind of one of the first places we like to start is just get a little bit of an idea of, uh, you know, how you guys both got to G2O and and uh, actually, you know what, maybe we should also have you guys introduce yourselves just to make sure everybody knows who's who. Greg Smith. Um, I do run our uh, experience division at G2O. I actually started with the, uh, the company um, six years ago, and it was prior to the rebrand. Um, I ran the experience division. We had our own brand called Clutch at the time. Um, prior to that, I had spent nine years inside of two large 
property casualty insurance companies and kind of wanted an opportunity that felt more entrepreneurial, somewhere I could, a place I could make a bigger impact uh, on the company um, and the variety that we have going from nine years in one industry to being able to impact banking and healthcare, which is the focus of this conversation today. But, you know, we do work in lots of other industries. And so the variety has been great in helping our clients solve problems through customer-centric approaches has been personally rewarding yeah. for me. And uh, this has been Stormer. The team I support at G2O is the uh, technology group. I met Kelly probably about almost two years ago at an HBA, Healthcare Business Women Association, gender equity. And we started talking after that, and we spoke for a couple months. And at the time, I had been, I was at Covering Beds at the time. Prior to that, I spent 16 years at Cardinal. And one of the things I've always enjoyed is uh, getting involved in big, complicated problems. And as she described what her and, and Blaine, the owner of the company's vision, were being a part of a, a team that was making a transition as a company really sounded like a challenge I wanted to take on. So after a couple of months, I came on board. I joined uh, in November of 19, right before the pandemic. And uh, so the first four months, I, I was welcomed with that. And we've been working on things, uh, navigating that, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about today. But then on on how we were reorienting the, the business, it's been a really great, really great experience so far. So nowadays, right, this wasn't always, hasn't always been the case in the history of humanity, but nowadays technology and experience are pretty intertwined. So I'd imagine you two see a lot of each other. We spend a yeah. lot of time together. Maybe too in much. Our, in our teams, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and is that part of the, the change for G2O is you guys have, you know, you're talking about, you're kind of hinting at, a, you know, there was a, hey, there was this challenge and they were trying to kind of rebrand and, and go in a different direction. Was that part of that new direction? Yeah, I think it certainly isn't an intention for Greg and I to spend most of our days together, but I think the, as a consequence of us delivering more value for, for clients and uh, working and kind of orienting ourselves at a different point, starting point with customers ends up including both of our teams. Because when you think about it, the way I think about experience data and tech is, you know, experience really highlights what do we need to do to solve the problem? And then tech and data actually build the workflow and instrument the workflow so you can actually change how people interact with the technology and ultimately change behavior. So a lot of our customers are looking for new ways to engage with their clients and really change how people are maybe engaging with them as a company. And so I think you find the two really going hand in glove. And I think the more and more we spend time together, customers have an expectation. You know, we'll talk to them and say, which is kind of funny because I, I talk a lot about experience and it's coming from the tech guy. I feel like I'm promoting Greg's team half the time, but I think customers are beginning to experience this kind of co-go-to-market approach from a business unit perspective. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Let's talk a little bit about it. I know this is a little off the outline, but I want to talk a little bit about what exactly we mean by, by experience. We often talk about it in terms of digital experience, but I actually like to talk about it at the highest level. So if you think about a customer experience, that's really about the culmination of all the touch points that somebody has with a brand. So they interact with products, they interact with services, they interact with instruction manuals, they interact with people on the phone, they interact with people in the store. All of those touch points represent the totality of the experience. And so when we get hired by clients to help figure out different ways to solve problems, we first take that larger look at that end-to-end -end experience 
and then come up with recommendations that fill the gap between what is what are current pain points and, and current issues with that experience with new solutions. And it's 2021, so obviously a lot of those solutions do happen to be digital, right? And then that sort of feeds into the the, the totality of of the the company where we're taking a product mindset and you know agile delivery mindset and, and bringing these things to life in a real incremental and fast way. The last time we talked to the team of G2O with Kelly, it was in the middle of this rebrand. Yeah. What's changed since that rebrand? Well, I mean, if, if I think back to the goal of the rebrand, because I was here prior to it, we had we had a lot of collective skills and, and expertise across what essentially was two different organizations, right? We had a technology organization and we had the, the organization that I ran called Clutch. And so not only just saying, okay, hey, we've got all these collective skills, but then we put a lot of work into creating a set of service offerings based on what problems we know companies have in the market that we can solve with those capabilities and really help our clients drive better outcomes. And so if I reflect back on what are we seeing that's that's changed, um, I'd say we've definitely shifted the business to be doing just that. And all the metrics that we use to track progress against those goals tells us that that it's working. And just the fact that Ben and I spent a lot of time together and our team spent a lot together you know, kind of is a a marker to say, yeah, you guys are actually doing bigger, more meaningful, end-to-end, solving big problems for your customers. The mechanics of the rebrand, it's a context-switching element. We talk about you have a new name and a new look and feel, but I think what's most important is what's behind that. And that really was an opportunity for us to redefine what we stand for and how we want to engage with our clients. And so I think it's bigger than just when you people think of brand, they think of brand and, and colors and logo. And I think it's a lot deeper than that. It's been a way for us to redefine a relationship with a lot of customers, uh, engage a lot deeper. And what I think we found is that our customers really appreciate it. And so it's been, it's gone really well. And um, I think despite having navigated COVID, we've actually ended up in a much better spot through all the transition. And I'd say there's been a, a positive halo effect on our culture. We used to have different cultures, and now we have one G2O culture because the teams are working together and learning how to work together. And um, it's, it's pretty been amazing to see even in, you know, our remote situation via, via COVID. The culture thing you're talking about, I'm new to the corporate world, I guess is what you call it. Um, and that's something I'm very fascinated by is, is seeing, everybody talks about culture. You can't force it. It, it has to be a natural thing. Do you think you had separate cultures because was that like acquisitions you acquired a team and they were kind of like already friends or what was causing that disconnect? And then do you have a, a, a one main thing you can point to that brought it all together? Um, I think there's several uh, elements to it. So, you know, the fact that we had two different brands, that's one. Um, but then we worked on, we, we sort of had worked on siloed accounts, you know, si- okay. si- silent, uh, siloed customers. So, the clutch organization had certain clients and the rest of the company had other clients. And so there, there wasn't a lot of collaboration between the teams. Yeah. That makes, that makes total sense. Yeah. So you feel, you feel bringing the, those projects together. So just working with each other on a constant basis is what, what changed that? I, I think, I think so. And I think the teams, when they start to work together, they can appreciate each other's craft and really understand yeah. more about the value of why it's important to have somebody who's helping us define what a workflow should look like and not just build yeah. the thing. So we always say, you know, First, we have to um, build the right thing and then build the thing right. Yeah. And so I think the team, as they've worked together quite a bit, they're seeing the value of actually what our customers appreciate when we have this combined uh, approach. Yeah, I think from from personal experience, that's something I've definitely noticed is tough at times and is very helpful is when you understand the value of each person's department and why. Like for, for you talk about you going through a rebrand, we just finished establishing and, and doing a major, uh, as with a startup, setting the foundation and uh, and coming from a, creative person explaining why these matter mm-hmm. and, and really showing rather than just saying it just does and understanding each department, they're there for a reason. You got to trust your team, obviously, but then understanding the value of that. And sometimes, and, it, and it's not to point to any 
anybody, but a designer may look at something differently than an engineer. And an engineer just says it needs to work. I don't care what it looks like. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong per se in the fact that it needs to function, but there's, they need to understand the value and why it, why it needs to look this way or why this color matters, what this, what story you're telling. And so it sounds like you guys, is that something you realized with the rebrand or was it just bringing together? Or what, what, what was the catalyst for you saying, oh man, we need to change? Because that's a big change. I mean, we, we did it as a start and it was already big. I can't imagine having established company and then changing it. Kind of like the crew just did and ruined everything. Not ruined everything, but you know, yeah. like that, that was uh, obviously you saw the, you, you yeah. see the blowback of people are adverse to change already, yeah. regardless of that s- specific situation. So for you, and I won't get on my soapbox with, with that one yet. I'm pretty passionate about that one, but for you, what was the thing that, or for your company, what was the thing that was the catalyst and making such a big change? Yeah. From my, from my background, I've been here a year with the company for about a year and a half and the environments from which I came were a little bit more integrated already. And so it was a natural course of work because I, I spent the last eight years doing product prior, I don't know, 15 or 18 years prior to that doing really deep tech work. And um, uh, so it was already kind of a part of what I saw, how you actually modern, you know, how you approach modern technology approaches. And so um, so I think it was, it was partially, you know, just driven by maybe a higher awareness across the, the leadership team. But, but then I, I would say, I, when we thought about this kind of, I'll call it reorientation of the business, how do we position ourselves differently with our clients and solving, you know, it sounds a little cliche, but how can we solve bigger and more valuable problems? And, you know, if if you say we're helping you not just implement this thing that you already have defined, but we're helping define the thing for you. And we're going to help you figure out how it actually solves your problems to ensure we have a higher accuracy. So when we get the thing built, that it's actually achieving what you set out for. And so we're just, the, the integration of the teams is really helping us uh, reorient in the market with our customers as well. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, we've got a lot of momentum with success. Mm-hmm. And so the teams um, successfully have gone through this and we've delivered some really great outcomes for several clients in this manner. And now there's sort of bi-directional acknowledgement that I can't believe we didn't do it this way all the time. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. Do you think that the pandemic hampered or accelerated these changes for your team? Mm. <laughs> well, I would say that the pandemic accelerated a lot of things for us as an organization. Um, so, so yes, both how the teams had to come together because the pandemic we always, we always say it like hit the, the economy like a light switch and it's coming back like a dimmer. And so just like everybody else, we had immediate impacts in the midst of not only large scale, you know, sort of cross line of business projects, but also in the midst of some pretty big pitches that we ended up being able to win in the midst of transitioning to cloud-based tools like Miro and Figma and all the other development tools that we had to quickly adjust to. So it forced everybody to come together. You had no, you, you didn't have a choice change a lot of things about how we approach, how the teams engage and whatnot. But from day one, we worked at accommodating uh, remote work and, and working on that. And I think what's funny about that too, is we've been at it so long, it started to become normal. So you kind of have to shake yourself now again and say, hey, we need to engage a little bit differently now that with multiple folks having multiple vaccines, how can we get back to what things might've been well, 18 I, months ago? Yeah, I was, so. Well, I was telling, telling Ben, you know, the other day, so we, we recently moved into new offices over in Dublin. And, you know, we, we had the opportunity to sort of strip it down with the studs and redesign an entire floor, um, you know, at one of the atrium buildings, how we wanted it. And we purposely designed it for um, organic collisions and collaboration. And so we've got these 
awesome sort of spontaneous collaboration zones. And so, um, I don't know, two weeks ago, one of our teams was maybe five or six of them. They brought a client in and, you know, they were, they were responsibly distanced in one of these areas. And on one wall, there's this massive whiteboard on this other wall, there's this massive pinup board and they're all on these soft chairs on their laptops in Miro. And it was like almost fear to go get a whiteboard marker and go draw something. And it was like <laughs> crazy. And so it's like, yeah. how, how's that, tra- how's that transition going to, going to be, you know? And it, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, even when, you know, we're all vaccinated here and when you guys came in, I was like, do we shake hands? Shake. Like, should we stay, you know, what do we do? How does this go? And I think as people come back to the office, that's going to be, you know, just a strange time, but eventually we'll kind of get back to the normal flow of things. I think for me, what's going to be the strangest thing is the first, the first game back at the shoe or the first, right. you know, like I'm going to a concert in September and it's going to be a packed house. And what the heck is that going to be like? Yeah, it's right. going to be so strange. Yeah, uh, And I can't even believe, begin to think about like, I just can't imagine if you'd gone to someone before the pandemic and told them, hey, in 12 months from now, everyone's going to be staying in their homes. No one's going to be going outside. You're not right. going to have any concerts, no sports. It's just a bizarro world yeah. we're living in. Jumping into kind of the next topic here. So, you know, what are some of the current initiatives you guys are working on right now? You know, we have a lot of things in flight. I think um, one of the things we've been spending time on, so we, we've part of our re- reorientation of the business, we've said, hey, let's focus in on these uh, we call them verticals or markets, banking and healthcare. One of the things we've been spending a lot of time on, and I'm not sure how deep you get with healthcare. I know you've spent a lot of time with hosting healthcare guests. Uh, I've spent uh, almost 18 years across two larger healthcare organiza- organizations, and some bi- there's some big problems that exist, and data interoperability is one of them. And so we've spent, you know, an initiative we have is really understanding more because there's some policy changes coming out. Um, you know, if you look at healthcare spend, we're probably 3.4 trillion about a year or two ago. And right now in 2028, they're forecasting about $6.2 trillion in healthcare spend. And so when you think about that explosion, yeah, it's crazy. It's bananas. And so, um, you know, of many things that um, are initiatives that are in place from, you know, the government and others is how do we think about opening up access to, I'll call it innovators to help, you know, contain some of that cost and actually slower reverse some of that cost curve. And so there's a lot of ha- uh, policy changes happening in, in healthcare data that are going to open up. We've talked about consumerization in healthcare for a while. I just had to get an MRI last week, and um, I swore I was going to go shop the MRI. But my pre-cert with my payer, and this is all HIPAA, but I'm disclosing it, so it's okay, right? Uh, so uh, so uh, my pre-cert with my payer, I couldn't go get the MRI from somebody other than the physician that the pre-cert was guaranteed for. So there's things that are happening, like uh, there's data opening up where additional pressure around revealing pricing, and I'm not making any political statements around what's right or wrong, but now health systems have to have 300 choppable codes. That's one set of policies. Another set of policies that, have, that are in process of, I'll call them turning on, they've been passed, but they have different turn on dates, is really how do you make data more accessible for patients as consumers rather. And so we're spending a lot of time in this space because if you think about a trend to bet on, it's something that's meaningful it's really important. We've got to figure it out. And there's a lot of innovation hap- happening in the space. So it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I've had like, you know, I've been on like three or four podcasts with healthcare people. So I probably have what, like 75, 80% of your knowledge. Yeah. So, at least, at least, <laughs> you know, I could do it. I think, I think I could figure it out. We had my buddy Bill Litter, So that accelerated you. So. Right, right, right. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Mike here. We want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, Revolution Group. Revolution Group is a business and their mission is to revolutionize businesses and empower people through strategic technology solutions. They provide everything from managed IT support, ERP services, cybersecurity services, and Salesforce implementations to Central Ohio and beyond. 
And they have some really strong values and fun company culture that focuses on extraordinary relationships with customers and each other. We had Polly and Rick on from their team on the show a while back, if you remember listening to that one. So it's clear that they really love working with local companies. They want to help support and build Central Ohio. So if you need any of those things, if you're looking for a partner when it comes to IT services, ERP services, cybersecurity services, all those stuff, we recommend you go check them out. You can uh, find their information at revolutiongroup.com. That is revolutiongroup.com. You mentioned healthcare is kind of one of these key industries. And then we've talked about, we've mentioned banking a couple of times here. So when we're looking at those particular sectors, what are the big shifts there other than the consumerization of data, like we just talked about, right? Is there other shifts in the market that are impacting these two sectors? You know, COVID has really brought back this phrase that's kind of old and tired, but it's now relevant again called digital transformation. So, so many banks sort of underinvested or, you know, might not have accelerated a lot of their digital investments. And now suddenly you've got, an, you know, an experience where you relied on your branch network for people to come in and do a lot of transactions, and maybe it's not as easy to do digital transactions with the, your particular bank. And so they're, they're feeling the pain. And so they are at risk of losing relevancy. And so we're seeing an acceleration of investments in their digital experiences in general. I think if you <clears throat> think about how the banks were caught off, they were almost caught flat-footed when the PPP loan program came out. So the federal government came out um, subsidized small business loans and the infrastructure to take those applications, process those loans didn't exist. And so literally, you know, I was talking to people at the C-suite level who were working 24 hours a day processing loans. So that was a scramble drill. Now there's loan forgiveness things. Now there's customers that are in mortgage forbearance because another government program. Of, so there's all these things that COVID spawned in the banking world that the banks sort of struggle to respond to. And so our goal is to be sort of looking around the corner, anticipating these things and sort of being ahead of our clients and to be able to help them through those things. So, and then, you know, customer experience in general, um, right? Everyone's uh, woken up to the idea of needing to be customer centric. Everyone, everyone talks about the next three years being the experience economy. It's not only a new way to approach what you do by taking sort of a customer-centric mindset. It's actually, it requires organizational change management because it's very different. And you have to think about the impacts that it's going to have to the people doing the jobs inside of the company that are going to need to change how they do things. Otherwise, you're, these programs and investments likely won't be as successful as they could be if you didn't. And so those are those are some trends. And then, you know, the banking world is, you know, they're under siege with fintechs, right? And so these fintechs are very focused on micro moments of the journey and delivering, you know, you know, highly digital, simple solutions for known problems. And, you know, banks really need to think differently about how they think about their customer, their problems, what role their that that bank you know wants to play in their in their lives. Right. It kind of used to be the expectation you go to the bank, it's going to be not fun. You're going to have to bring all your paperwork. It's going to be a kind of a, just a big pain in the butt, right? You might, you might not even have the right paperwork. You got to go back right. home. Got to go back, yeah. got to go get it. But people don't accept that nowadays. Yeah. I'd add on the, the trends, I think a couple other things in addition to the data problem in healthcare, you know, one of the, we talked about how you mentioned things were being accelerated and on the provider side, if you look at everybody, if you've been to a physician recently, they all have their EMR because of high tech, which was passed thing in 2005. And so as a result, you know, 10 years later, we all have, uh, we all had EMRs and now we're starting to use the portals attached. Well, the adoption wasn't super high of, of utilizing those things. We were probably, you know, the numbers I saw were between, you know, you read different things, but it's between 18 and 35%. The numbers I've seen post COVID are pushing 55% because you saw, like I did some telehealth visits. Um, I'd never talked to people who'd done telehealth visits, but I was just wanting to see my doctor at COPC. 
So we're seeing more adoption of that. And uh, the other element of it was just scheduling vaccines where you saw a lot of that happening online. So if you went to Ohio State, you'd go through and you know go to Epic and, and, and uh, uh, my chart and log in. And they saw a spike in caregivers, not necessarily at Ohio State, but in general. And so you're seeing patients surrounded by their kind of care community that are also using that technology. So the numbers are now, you know, 50 to 60 percent of the numbers I'm seeing. So you see this rapid adoption of technology to support remote work and healthcare. How that impacts other parts of the industry is things like, you know, pharma and how they do engagement for physician and patient education around emerging therapies. So there's a lot of things that ladder back to these macro trends like healthcare data and our operability, digitization, COVID actually accelerated, not just you know our company's work, but a lot of other trends that were um, would have otherwise taken a long time to uh, roll out and adopt. Right, and so when we look at like the entire market, right? Like, and we think about this from the perspective of a small business or even a medium-sized business locally here in Ohio, right? Like how the heck are they supposed to keep up with the chases of the world? and the large healthcare providers and, and these, these groups that have a lot of resources, a lot more people to throw at this problem. How can a small business keep up with something like this? When you talk about small business, you're talking about banks that compete with larger banks. That's an area that we spend a lot of time thinking about as it relates to the services banks can provide to small businesses, right? And so it's a kind of a largely uh, ignored segment within a bank. They think about their retail customers. They think about their commercial customers. And then you've got these businesses that have revenues between zero and $5 million that they're either treated like a retail customer or treated like a commercial customer, but really they have very unique needs, right? So they own a bakery and their their craft is baking wonderful bread and they don't know anything about running a business. And so there's just opportunities, if you think about that, for companies to show up and help them offload some of these ancillary things they don't want to have to deal with that they have to deal with so they can focus on their craft. And when I say that, I think that um, being a smaller business competing with the chases, you have an opportunity to find the right focus points, right? And so take the time to really sort of focus on what do you want to be great at and put the time and energy into, into understanding those opportunities and, and really uh, have the discipline to focus on the things that you want to be great at and go do and, and go be great. Because people still want to deal with local businesses and small businesses, but you have to have the same parity and experience. Otherwise, it's not worth it. You know, there are some helping s- small and mid-sized businesses move on that is important to us as a company. I think mm-hmm. um, in some ways, you know, I've seen and worked in some large organizations. I worked at General Motors at one point. And so large organizations that might have resources, but might have culture issues. We talked about that a little earlier or uh, just, you know, some built-in friction that might preclude them from moving as quickly as a smaller organization that doesn't have as much size and scale. So I think turning that challenge into an advantage, um, specializing, which is what, you know, I think Greg said, I mm-hmm. think are things that we think about when we, when we engage with clients and we're actually engaged with a couple of clients right now on this very topic is we had a customer who, because of the times had to close some offices and they're investing in their digital strategy. So we're actually engaged in these very types of conversations right now and how to help them think about focusing their business and, and really figure out what they want to be great at. Hey, everybody, we're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are 
but also address some of the weaknesses and say, like, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. What do you guys see as the biggest challenges for these markets going forward? I mean, what are the, what should people be thinking about if they're listening to this podcast and they're, th- and they're worried about some of these things? In, in healthcare, I think cost of care, it, a lot of things ladder back to that. And so data interoperability, um, you know, uh, ladders back to that. I think, you know, when you think about other challenges that kind of, it's like a spider web, <laughs> which healthcare is this really complicated beast. Um, and so when you get into data, then you start to think about the um, uh, uh, privacy challenges with data. So, you know, I, I think it's it's really hard for me to say what are the top five challenges in healthcare because it, it all, by the way, also depends on your perspective. You know, I, I kind of have broad perspective around healthcare, but I haven't spent time, for example, at a provider working. So I don't understand all the nuances with, you know, billing and remittance and claims management type of of concerns and just the operations and bed churn and things like that, that I know um, are, are probably top of mind for them. So I, I would have to stick to a kind of a macro trend of just this cost of care. Um, and, and how are we as a country going to get our head around managing this? Cause you know, it's going to hit and probably in this order, the government employers, and then it's going to come back to us. And so, you know, unless you really want to spend 40% more on healthcare over the next six, seven, eight years, we've got to figure out how to solve for it. So I think, you know, I would probably hang on to that, that uh, thread as something that I think is a big challenge that we need to pay attention to. I think it's also um, a little bit about how you approach as you think about what you want to do as a business. How do you want to be, how do you want to differentiate it? A lot of people, you know, they look at competitors and and not not just in banking and healthcare, but, you know, looking at competitors, trying to figure out, okay, well, we need to be at parity with them. But really you need to go, it sounds so simple, but literally go really understand your customers. What pain points are they having and use that to drive your decision making. We really believe in customer value will will equate to business value. And so if you can deliver customer value in a unique way and really, really understand, you actually have a chance to leapfrog if you take a step back and really think about it from that perspective. No, it all makes a lot of sense, guys. And it's, uh, you know, I think we'll kind of transition here to some of our last questions of the show, but it's been great talking to you both so far. So uh, the first of the last questions is, you have any advice for our listeners? And a lot of our listeners out there are here in Columbus, right? But they're in the uh, 25 to 35 range. Although I know we have some out there that are not in that range. So don't crucify me in the comments. <laughs> um, but a majority of our listeners are in that range. So thinking about people who are young professionals, looking at their careers, thinking about where they're going, what they want to do. Sometimes think about entrepreneurship, that type of thing. You know, I think um, probably maybe two points of view there. One is, and Greg's mentioned this a couple of times, so maybe coming from the technology guy, it might be a, a different vantage point. But if you're in a, I'll call it a services business like we are, really taking time to understand your customers' customers. And he used the term looking around the corner so you can kind of anticipate what, and it's probably kind of a life philosophy as well. So it gives you a chance to anticipate what's going to happen. And so I think that's something we we definitely have ingrained in our culture. I think when you talk about, when you mention the demographics of your group, what I would say is uh, advice just from a, I'll call it non G2O perspective would be to bet on yourself. And I think that, um, you know, uh, what we've seen over the the past year with the pandemic is a lot of uncertainty and getting comfortable with figuring out how to make, uh, to how to navigate that when we don't have all the answers is something that I think is really important. And so betting on yourself, you know, um, doesn't mean you shouldn't have confidence when you're doing that. So um, I think that that would be something I would want uh, everybody to think about. If I wake up and I'm going to work and I'm not loving what I do, I'm probably not doing the right thing. And so you know, I, I think the, the only way you can do the best work is, is to love what you do every day. So kind of gut check yourself against that frequently. 
Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, Hybeck. It's actually just me and Tim in the booth because, well, Josh is on his way over to the restaurant right now. So unluckily for us, we don't get any special treatment. I don't think he's bringing us back a pizza I don't or think anything. so. I'm a little jealous. We love Hybeck. I mean, I go there all the yeah. time. Their hot honey pizza they got going right now. Yep. That's Man, what that I was going to say. As soon oh. as we had him on the episode, I called in before they even left and ordered it and picked it up on the way out. And it was the best. We're talking about the restaurant, but Hybeck's a lot more than just a restaurant. They do still whiskey and gin and vodka. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they brought in a couple of different options for us to try recently. And I really like this Midnight Cask. It's a mixture, I think, of whiskey along with a port wine. And it kind of tastes like a Manhattan, but it's like double the strength. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, listen to the episode. I mean, the story behind the organization is great too. So yeah, it's a bunch of local entrepreneurs that just have a passion for making good food and great drinks. They just launched a thing called the Whiskey Society too, which I joined. And if you really like booze, it's worth checking out. It pays for itself just in the entry fee. And then you'll get cards for drinks every month. They put on events right now. They're on Zoom, but teach you how to make drinks, tell you what to use, why you use those things. It's definitely for the whiskey enthusiast. I've enjoyed my membership so far. That's for sure. So if you guys like High Bank, if you're looking for a restaurant, somewhere to watch the game. If you're looking to put in an order for a pickup, check out High Bank, man. Their food's great. They're great people. Yeah. And we love their drinks. And get the hot honey pizza. Get the hot honey pizza. I All promise right. you will love it. All right. Now back to the show. The last question of our show, gentlemen, is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How's it apply to your life and career? And uh, maybe we'll start with Ben. I think maybe what I'd go back to is a comment I just made around finding a way to uh, move forward when you don't have all the answers. And that for me is uncomfortable. You know, I've had to figure out how to be confident in the skills to be able to navigate that, but then not feel like I always have to have the answers. I think when I was younger in my career, I felt like I always had to have the answers as I've I'll say more tenured, I wouldn't say older, <laughs> more tenured in my career. <laughs> you know, it's become more about the process of solving the problem and actually working through teams. So succinctly, I would say it's about how do you navigate? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the secret, Ben, that I've discovered as I've kind of gone through my own career is that, you know, you always assume when you're a kid that at some point, like, oh yeah, they know all the answers. Right. The adults know what they're doing. Parents know what's going on. Or, you know, my grandparents, man, they got it figured out. Secret is nobody's got it figured out. <laughs> No, I have to tell you, it's funny, building on that, I was talking to you with a, with a, a colleague today, Liz uh, Otley, and we're working through something, and she said, I'm making this up as I go, and I said, we all are, you know, yeah, so it's, 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 it's half the time we're figuring it out, you know, so yeah. I agree. Yeah, I would just say, uh, I'd say in this, you know, in our business, in the services business, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, because we're, a lot of the, a, a large percentage of our time is um, trying to convince clients to think differently about something and, and take our proposal. And, um, you know, um, oftentimes I have to remind myself, I know more about this space than everybody else in the room. So um, I should be comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> right. So just having that courage. I have a big sign in my, well, well I had an office space. We're remodeling, but I hang in my chair, but it says uh, nobody knows anything. And it's this like massive sign. And people took it as a negative thing. And I was like, no, that's not it at all. It's just a reminder that one, you have experience. That's great. But there might be a more, there might be a better way to do it. It's like a, you know, you can be as cheesy as you want with it, but it's just a reminder mainly to myself that no matter what I think, I don't know, don't know enough. I can always learn more. And so I think that's the thing I hear in business. Again, I'm new to the corporate world is like, we've always done it this way or we do it this way. And it's like, why? You know, and it's uh, again, so cliche, but it's like, 
just because someone did it that way doesn't mean we have to. It doesn't mean it's the best way. And that reminder of like the nobody knows anything. I realized it was coming across as like a negative thing. I was like, no, no, no. It's like an right. inclusive. Let's like figure it out. But it's just this massive sign that says that. And so I uh, just remind, uh, and I have another sign that says you'll think of something. So there's like a little bit of like a positive and a negative there. But you, you need a third one that says ask for help. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the other thing too. <laughs> that's, and that's kind of like the implied with it. But it's, right. yeah, it's like, uh, and I think that helps with the teamwork you're talking about or like the yeah. culture, or whatever. Let's work together to find the most efficient solution uh, to get a common goal as opposed to just like, well, we've always done it this way or someone did it that way. So I'm just going to do it that way. You know, you know, the phrase grandma's pot roast, right? I don't. Okay. So if you ever heard the term grandma's pot roast, right? A lot of times it's thrown around like, Hey, this is like grandma's pot roast. Like it's potpourri. Right. No, it's not. But like the great, it's a, it's an older phrase, right? Grandma's pot roast, but it's usually a reference. Like people use it incorrectly as a reference towards like, this is just a pot of stuff. Like we don't know what's in it. But the actual term and the analogy comes from a story, which I guess I'll have to tell now, which is, you know, a daughter goes to her mom and says, hey, mom, why do we always cut the corner off the pot roast? Right. We cut the the end off the pot roast. And she's like, well, that's how my mom always did it. Mm. Right. And so she goes back to to her grandma and says, grandma, why do you always cut the corner off the pot roast? She said, well, that's how my mom always did it. And then, you know, great grandma's still around. So she goes to great grandma and goes, hey, why do you always cut the corner off the pot roast? And great grandma comes out. She goes, well, you know, she grabs a pan out and says, well, I, the only pan I ever had was too small to put the full pot roast in. So I'd always <laughs> cut a corner off the pot roast. And the, the moral of that story is like, again, just because it's the way you've always done it doesn't mean that that's the right way or there wasn't a different reason that they did it that way before. Yeah. Yeah. So now we all learn something. Grandma's pot roast. I like roast. it. That, I is, like it. that is where the phrase comes from. Right. Yeah. You should add that somewhere under live comfortably. Right. Live uncomfortably. Grandma's pot Grandma's roast. Grandma's pot Yeah. It seems like a good ringing tune. But uh, guys, it's been, it's been great talking to you today. We really appreciate you both taking the time to join and talk about your stories and uh, G2O on the show. So yeah, thank you so much. We appreciate the time. Re- really appreciate having us on. Thank you. Conquerors, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that interview. If you did and you want to hear more just like it every week, hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. Again, we we talk to people throughout Columbus every week with interviews just like this. Uh, really appreciate all your support. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.